Well, I want to get into the Word of God, and we'll be doing things just a little different. You should know me. I'm not going to be like everybody else. Not that I desire to be different. I just am. Sorry. Not sorry. I'm just different. But my mama says I'm special. Brother Kaiser, would you bring that over? I'm very special, just like Brother Jerry. We be brethren. Amen, amen. We'll be turning in Psalms chapter 27 for our text tonight. Amen. Psalms chapter 27. chapter 27, we're reading verse, starting in verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Dropping down to verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. If we could lay our Bibles down, asking God to reach down and touch us, each and every one, in his word. Amen. Let's talk to him together. Hallelujah. God of heaven, we thank you, Savior. I appreciate you, God, for what you're doing in this house, your presence. God, I ask you to be with us, continue to minister to us, God. I worship you, Savior. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I thank you, Savior. You're a good God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. If you promised to stay awake tonight, you may be seated, but if you going to fall asleep, just go ahead and stay standing, Brother Jerry. <laughs> Brother Sal. <laughs> oh, I love God's people because he gives me the grace. He gives me the grace. I can't do it without him. Hallelujah. No, I, I really do. I love God's people. We're going to talk about a little bit about that tonight. The title of my Bible study, if I could say it this way, is Growing Beyond the Basics. Growing Beyond the Basics. And so I apologize. I don't want to hold the mic if I don't have to. I'm just going to try to go through some of my notes. But I would like to ask a question. What are three things that you would say to the younger you that would influence your outcome today? What are three things that you would try to convince your younger self to do different? What would you say to the 21-year-old, the 25-year-old, 30-year-old you? What would you say to them? Would you say, good job? Would you say, you've done it? Or would you have some wisdom to impart on them? All of us, no doubt, would say, I could do them some things different. If I could use myself as an example, I promise you that it wouldn't apply to any of you. But Douglas, you were stupid. You were dumb. You did some things without thinking. Things that you are living with the consequences to this day. If you were to be honest with yourself, you would realize, you know what? When I thought I'd, I had it all together, I realized how fragmented and falling apart I really was. 
But if I could go back, man, and think about the things that I could sit down and tell myself. But I look back at those times when I had my father sit across from me and say, Douglas, this, this, and this. And I didn't receive it. So why do I think that I would listen to myself? When I had the man of God, my youth leader, people in my life say, you know what, you might want to be careful with this, this, and this. I didn't listen to them because I knew better. Why do I think I would listen to myself unless I could sit there and read my story and say, Douglas, in this year, this is going to happen. And if you would have done this differently, the outcome would have been different. And if you would have done this, and you can go down the story of each and every one of us. There is no doubt countless stories, and we would say, why stop at three? Let's not be overachievers here tonight. Let's just be gentle on ourselves. But three things that we could give unto ourselves would be very, they'd be deep, they would have wisdom, they would have consequences, and they would paint a very vivid picture. Take them serious. And I ask this question, do you have them conquered today? What changed from 21 to 43? Is it different? Are you in a better place with those things? Or are you still wrestling with the things you would tell yourself then? Tonight, we'll look at a few areas that people commonly struggle. When a problem is present, in most cases, we solve those in private. But we take things and we glean things in this time of reflecting on ourselves in private and trying to be a better you. We either take, I'll just categorize three things. We take things that someone may say to us and we use it to modify ourselves. Or we take things that we observe from the lives of others, we modify ourselves. Or we're too ashamed to ask for help and we suffer in silence. But more appropriately, it's probably said we suffer in the silence. Something we create on our own. And tonight I want to talk to us about a couple of things. We'll get to more of the details here in just a moment. But I ran across a statement. I'd finished last night putting all of what God had laid on my heart, put it down, closed it, and I went to my email to make sure nothing was going crazy. And the very first email in my inbox said this, before you can make real progress, you must first confront what's holding you back. I said, well, it may have been Harvard Business that sent that to me, but I'll take that, God. Because you will never grow if you cannot fully understand what is holding you back from being the Christian that you need to be. Because you can put a tomato plant, and it's great to pick them up from the store, and you have them in this nice little pot, and you bring them and you set them there. But if you never take them out of that pot, they will never grow. And Sister Nelson, I've seen you do a Sunday school exhibit up here, and you have a green thumb. There was dirt all over the floor. You were smashing things. That poor plant. <laughs> but I believe you know how to do things right. And you know that at a certain point in time, you don't bring them home expecting a crop, right? You take them out and you unleash the potential for each and every one of those plants. And if you don't take them out of that little pack, six pack, that little plastic things that they break open, if you never take them out, shame on me. Because the next thing you know, you can water and water and water, and those roots will sit there and go, and they'll fill up that container, and they'll never grow beyond the potential of the container they're in. We, as Christians, we must go beyond the basics. Now, Bishop is doing a wonderful job, and I feel like we're going to be spending 2023 in the basics. If we're going four lessons on one lesson, I think... I think we can count on about 52 Sundays of the basics if we're doing our math right. And I love it. I went to him and said, Bishop, thank you. I need this. I've lived in the church my entire life. 
I need this. And God wants to do something great in our life. So to understand what is not working in your life, let me say it this way. Let's make it simple. To understand what is not working in something physical, what do you do? The lights aren't working, we go look at the switch. If that's not working, we go to the source of power. Now in my life, you know I'm a lackluster electrician, that's why I'm in management. And uh, in my mind, I would do one of two things. If something wasn't working, I would go to the power source for the easy fix. The breaker trips. But breakers don't normally trip on their own. Something causes breakers to trip. But you can say, whoo, turn it back on and it works. Perfect. And you walk away. But eventually, whatever tripped that breaker to begin with is going to trip that breaker again. Something exceeded the load of the breaker. But if that breaker's on, now you're in trouble. Now you've got to find out what went wrong. Last Sunday, what do you think? Last Sunday, the golf family came home from church on Sunday morning, pulled our car in the driveway, went to nap, very apostolic of us, went to go leave for music practice Sunday night, and went to go start the car, Subi Ruby, as we call her. And Subi Ruby started up and started revving real high. And every light you could think of went crazy. And every flashing light went crazy in the the eyesight system went nuts, and I'm like, hold on, we got a problem. So I did the typical smart, intelligent thing that IT people say to do, turn it back off, turn it back on again. It didn't fix it. And I told Sister Golf, I said, something's wrong. Let's jump in the truck and let's go. So we left the Subaru, come back. We're perplexed. What happened between Sunday morning parking it and two and a half hours later, leaving the part of the driveway, what happened? I said, you know what? I have a suspicion. Those pesky squirrels. I bet they went and munched on some wires. So I called Subaru, and they said, oh, well, if this has happened, you can just drive it in. So we drove it in. Next thing you know, we get a call from the Subaru dealership. Actually, Sister Golf was there, and they said, here's some pictures. And a squirrel, maybe a mouse, went in there and chewed on $5,300 worth of wires because he was hungry. While my car is parked underneath the largest oak tree in the neighborhood, when all the deer in our area come to eat the acorns, this thing decided to eat copper. I'm ready to give it lead. Maybe some copper-coated lead. I don't know. $5,300. And so an insurance claim is filed. But it took someone knowing what to do to go in and troubleshoot this, knowing that, no, it's probably not the button, it's not the light, it's further down the circuit. So tonight we're going to talk about a few common areas. Relationship with God, one, and two, relationship with your brother and your sister. If you have either one of these wrong, if one builds upon the other, because you cannot be right with your brother and sister if you're not right with God. Now, you can say, well, I'm not sinning against my brother and sister, but are you treating them the right way? Do you have, you can't treat them as God has asked us to treat each other if you are not treating God the way he has asked you to treat him. So one builds upon the other. So we'll give preference unto relationship with God. But I'll start with this. How many have ever had a surgery and they're rolling you in on a gurney, and the surgeon's in there, and you look, and he's over there prepping his surface, and out he pulls a first aid kit. What would you say? I think we got the wrong doctor in here. Can we get a doctor in the house? And you would say, that's not what I'm here for. You see, Kaiser, would you grab that bag out of my something that has a lot of value, a first aid kit does. But you see, if that doctor is pulling out a first aid kit, that means he is dealing with something far more extensive than him taking out whatever on you or fixing whatever on you. Good thing this isn't an emergency. But this goes with me everywhere. Rides in my truck, carry it with me, all of our camping trips. 
But if a surgeon's looking for any of these items, we have a problem because he's not well prepared. Because guess what? A first aid kit is not what you do surgery with. It's because an accident has happened, an unprepared event has happened in your life. That means that something has occurred and you're trying to sustain life. Now, if you go to your doctor and you're going to do your annual physical and they pull out a first aid kit, none of this is preventative care. This is all reactionary to something far greater than what you planned. And so, what I want to point out today is many times we get, we find safety in these things. Safety in all these, oh, look at the list of things. There is a splint, there's tape, there's needles, there's a tick remover, there's gauze, there's a tourniquet, um, there's every, oh, wilderness, I have even have a book that tells me how to use this. Like I'm going to read, read my, read this to myself when I'm trying to fix something. But there are things in here that you look at, well, thank you, brother. You look at these things, oh, well, I feel so prepared. But the problem is what you're prepared with is when everything has gone wrong. So what's the spiritual condition of your life when it hasn't? Are you doing preventative care in your life? Or are you carrying around a spiritual first aid kit to make yourself feel comfortable? It's a disadvantage to yourself if this is all your medical care is. You could go in and say, I'm not going to renew my, my health insurance in January or December because guess what? My kids gave me a first aid kit for Christmas. It's foolish. So why would you settle for things in your life spiritually that your physical life won't settle for? So why would you settle for only coming to church on church services and not applying yourself spiritually in other areas? This is more than preventative care. The church service and the worship service that makes you feel good, it's more than making you feel good. It is establishing you as a saint to move you beyond the basics. It is actually you growing and bringing more to the church service so it's not just a first aid kit. But there are people that feel so good about themselves because look at me, I have religion. I have the crucifix. I have the things that make it look like I am prepared. But do you know how to use them? The problem is, they stand there like we did at a funeral. We're a backslider. Room full of backsliders. And they come up and say, keep praying for me. I am not your first aid kit. There is action that you have to take upon yourself. You have to make a decision to sell out to God. Don't use my prayers as a first aid kit so you can keep living like the devil and feel like you have a covering. Now, the prayers of the saved make a difference, and they mean something, but they will not save you. Save yourselves from your, this untoward generation. And the family members that said that have heard my grandparents say that time after time, save yourself. But yet, don't stop praying for me. So first aid is not preventative care. Applying the word of God in the present will allow it to manifest itself into the future. I ask how many in this house tonight, asking for participation, how many have ever been trained in first aid? Raise your hand. Wow. Somebody goes down, we're in good shape. How many have been trained more than once? Lost a few hands. How many are trained in CPR, defibrillators, ADs? Lost a few more hands. The point of it is, things change. When I first began getting trained in first aid, things were told us, well, you're going to do your compressions and you're going to do your breaths. Last time I was trained is, the numbers say that breaths don't make the impact. It basically wears you out. Keep doing your compressions. And I sat there, drop jaw, I was like, how can you keep somebody alive without breath? But the American Red Cross taught this and said, this is what we recommend. So I'm like, well, I'm glad I was trained again because things have changed. If you don't use it, you lose it. And you've heard stories of people being called upon, and, and I, I may have mentioned this before, but there was a guy that I used to work with in another company he and I were at a business meeting in Florida, 
And all of a sudden he comes in and he's got blood all over his shirt. He's a wreck. And he had just had to do CPR on a little girl that was hit by a dump truck and saved her life. She was dead, brought her back. You will use these things. Saints of God, as a member of the church, as a child of God, you will use the word of God. You may feel like, well, it just doesn't apply to me now. But you, more importantly, more importantly, will use this to save your soul. After you've been trained, you have now something very valuable in your memory. And we're required to get retrained every year to two years. And it allows me to look at things a little different. It allows me to look at my life and have some preparedness about it. I go into a building, I wonder, do they have an AED? At the beginning of all of our meetings, we have guests in our office. We tell them where the first aid kit, where the AEDs at, where we go for a shelter, where we go for a fire, where to go in the fire exits, and all these things. You know, if you have something wrong with you, write it on your piece of paper and put it in your right-hand pocket. So if you pass out, we'll look and see if you have some history, but keep it confidential. You begin to look at the gaps in your life. You begin to analyze what's not right and what's there and what needs to be updated you put a first aid kit in your car. You put a fire extinguisher in your car, your house. And I've mentioned um, the R in the golf family where we had a fire. But I want to point out something that is something maybe you'll learn from. You see, our fire in our house was, you could say, worse than what it should have been because we weren't prepared. We had a very small fire extinguisher. It met the requirements for the state of Kansas for us to have foster kids in our house. A little bitty fire extinguisher. It's all that they required. And an escape plan had to be, and we had to practice those things. But yet when it came down to a tragedy actually taking place and our house being on fire, Sister Golf grabbed that little fire extinguisher, and guess what? She wasn't trained on it, but she had a fire extinguisher. Instead of using it correctly, it's not to her fault. She didn't know how to use it. And she used it and didn't do anything. And next thing she had was bowls from the kitchen trying to throw water on a raging fire in a bedroom closet. It didn't get us anywhere. It didn't benefit us. But you know what? If they ever came and did an inspection, we had a fire extinguisher. And it's the same way for our life. You could say, Pastor, count me as being in attendance on Tuesday night. But do you know how to use what you have? Do you know how to address the problems in life as they come up? Or are you just trying to just, I've got a fire extinguisher. And I've got it. It's right there. Look at it. It's nice and clean. It's charged. It's within date. There's no issues. Everybody knows where it's at. But it's insufficient. Parents, just coming to church isn't going to cut it. Do they hear you pray? Do they see the Bibles being opened? You can say, oh, well, we go to church, but you have just a little fire extinguisher. What is your relationship with God? We must be prepared to work in the kingdom. I'll make a few statements that may seem inflammatory, but they're not meant for shock value. They're actual true statements. But the modern church has done everything they can to de-skill the church. And let me explain what de-skill. I'll first apply it on a personal level, then I'll apply it on more of a, an industrial level. In a de-skilled, and, and I have some of these, some of this experience in what I do, we want to automate as much as we can. We want to make it as simple as possible. We want instructions to be so self-explanatory they don't have to call anyone. But when you de-skill something, it causes a person to be less multifaceted or proficient in skill as defined by a job or being out of the workforce. When you look at it from an occupation or an industry, it is to require less skill as from the introduction of technology or from a redefinition of responsibilities. And you will fight this in the workforce where you have a technology that will come in and then you say, you no longer have to do this. And it takes things out of the hands of that very skilled operator and it makes it to where they monitor a system now. And it's called de-skilling their job. 
You no longer have to know how to have all these certifications. You just need to watch something and take over when things go wrong. But what does this statement mean for the church? You see, for years and years, if not decades, preachers, priests, people have got up and made statements about you don't need to understand the Bible. It's reserved for the ministry. They're de-skilling the saints of God. When daily devotions are promoted more than reading the Bible, you're de-skilling the Word of God and the people. You're putting Chuck Swindoll's words in your heart, not the Word of God. And they make it to where all you have to do is read this 15-minute devotional that has one scripture reference, but then you have man's opinion for 15 minutes pumping into your heart and your mind, and that's what you glean that little nugget and you roll with it, and that's what you apply in your life. But yet, you didn't pick up the Word of God. You must go beyond the basics. And all they want to do is teach about once saved, always saved. And give you that confidence of, all i got to have is this Bible and this little first aid kit to make me feel good. That way, if anything ever goes bad, all i got to do is lean on this. And that's when, and they stay shallow. They say where they can't um, contribute to anybody else's life. They're always takers. Because they really have nothing to contribute. All these people want them to do, want you to do, is continue to send money to them. And carry around this first aid of salvation. And live how you want to live. And let a copy of Chicken Soup for the Soul bleach itself to oblivion on your dash. And you feel good about it every time you get in your car. That's de-skilling the church. But the truth church is totally opposite. Pastors ask us, read your Bible. Apply yourself. Study. Teach Bible studies. It's the exact opposite. We are being challenged to go somewhere beyond the basics that's no longer acceptable unless you are needing to go through and live within them. But there's nothing wrong as Bishop is teaching us, but we can't stay there. He's not saying let's go back and stay. Let's go back and grow. Let's fix some things that we had wrong in the past. Let's do some course corrections. And for the seasoned saints, we take this and we apply this and we say, God, I missed it in this area. Help me grow in this place. I want to go deeper. And unto the saved, we can't just walk into church and identify, or I should say, you cannot just walk into a church and identify as a Christian. Unlike mainstream thoughts where you can identify and so be, it's impossible. But in the church, you can come in and apply yourself and grow and you can become. Because God has called us to become. So we cannot be satisfied with staying amongst just the simple things. We have to go beyond the basics. So use this time, use this year, these lessons that Bishop is going to teach to take us beyond the basics. We can't live in the past and have regret. You'll never grow. I wish I was back in this little pot. It will be limiting. And you want to go there because it's comfortable. But it's not the right way to do things. You see, you have to have the right key to open the door. Now, my house key fits in the front door of this church. And how do I know that? Because it often finds itself in there when it's freezing cold, sideways wind and rain's blowing across the church porch, and someone's sitting there shaking and trying to get my key to turn, and it's like, do you have the house key or the church key? Okay, let's use the church key. And the door opens. Likewise, the church key fits in the house key, house, house lock. But nothing will open until you have been modified by the master will you then be able to open the door? Not just to your life, but in the lives around you. Don't settle for just fitting in the mold. Be functional. Do something. Apply yourself in the kingdom. Be willing to be modified so you're not just a blank. See, a blank key can go in the lock. But you have to be changed to open the door. 
And that change isn't always within your control. That change is within the one who has the knowledge on what it takes to open the door. You have to be modified by the master. Don't just be settled, well, I look like it, but can you do anything with those looks? Do you have the power to open the door? Can you say, I'm a Christian, but when someone says, I'm desperate, I need you to pray for me, and you're lost, you're like, I, I, I didn't expect someone, I don't, I don't know what to do. You better be prepared. It's more than our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You feel better? No. You have to know how to call upon the name of Jesus. And if you can't do it for them, you sure enough can't do it for yourself. So you have to learn how to apply the Word of God to your life and be changed to grow and not be limited by the, the, pre, the misconceptions of our heart and our mind that the world tries to continually impress upon us to keep us within their mold. Because the moment you become something different, you're breaking out of their mold. You're doing things they cannot do. As followers of Christ, we're commanded... In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And what does the next verse of Scripture say? And be not conformed to this world. You know what that means? Be conformed to Him. If you're not conforming to the world, this verse of Scripture is saying, I want you to be conformed to me. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you still think the way you used to think, you need to be transformed. If you still do the way you used to do, you need to be transformed. If your judgments are the same and you don't grow, you need to be transformed. If your reactions are the same, they've always been, you need to be transformed. If your overreactions don't go away, you need to be transformed. You see, growth comes when you have a situation that you prayed about and you allow the Word of God, the Bible to change you, the preached Word of God, the daily devotions, the willingness to be changed by God, and you have a situation come up again and you respond differently. It's growth. Have you ever had a situation that you stepped back after the moment had passed and you're like, I surprised myself. Look at what I did this time. Now, you don't go broadcast those things because you want people to think that you're doing better and, you know, this is not how I've, you know, I'm always like this. But we know that we're not. I've had those moments in my life where I'm like, you know what? Five years ago, I'd have done this totally different. This outcome would have been totally different. We'd have been using this right here because I overreacted. I allowed myself to respond in a way that I had to go apologize about. But real maturity as a Christian is when we conduct ourselves in a way we don't have to apologize on how we respond. Now, we'll mess up, but when it's how you are every time, you're dependent upon a first aid kit to fix your problems. But eventually they're going to say, I don't know why he apologizes because he's like this all the time. I don't know why she says that because she's done this ten times. Why is it that this person always has to apologize for their actions? Because you never grow. God wants us to go beyond the basics. God wants us to look at and say, I don't want milk. I want to desire the sincere meat of the Word. Reading the Word of God and putting it deep within our heart. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 3 it says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 We'll read this and then, oh, that's just for preachers. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that meeteth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That isn't just for the ministry. 
You can't teach a Bible study if you don't study. Then you're just teaching your opinions. God has asked us to go beyond the basics. Now, I am not the deepest theologian, as you can tell today. It's just one step above a flannel story tonight. If you've never been in Sunday school where you had little figures that were put on a flannel board, that's about where we're at on the intellect level tonight. I know, Brother Nelson, that's your (laughs) go-to. Love Brother Nelson. But you cannot do what God has called you to do if you don't study the Word of God. Now, I've been in a place to where I thought just reading my Bible would just get it done. It doesn't. I can contest. There are some times where you may have to listen to the Word of God. But for me, let's just talk about me. We all do things differently. I have a one-track mind. If someone walks up to me while I'm typing, I will start typing what they're saying to me. And it's backspace, 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 backspace. I can't listen and talk and the output is what I'm hearing or what I'm trying to say. They just don't work. So if I'm doing something, there's these little levers that start shutting down my ears and I don't hear. I have to stop and give my undivided attention. I'm not talented. You'll see some folks that listening to a story, doing this, and they're just rocking it. And I'm like, I can't do anything, multiple. I mean, I barely even keep a beat on the drum because I'm doing more than one thing. But some people have that talent. But God wants us to go beyond just talent and allow us to minister from the heart. Because when you put it deep within your heart, it's more than just, oh, I listen to the Bible. But I found that when I open the Bible and I read it, it's much harder for those distractions to come into my mind because I'm touching something, I'm holding something, and I'm engaged in something. And that's where I found when I was doing this, then little thoughts like, what did he mean by that? Hmm. Write it down, keep reading, come back and study it. Some people just want to, oh, I'll check the box. It's more than that. We have to grow in these areas. Allow the Word of God. Because you never know when someone's going to walk up and say, tell me why you're different. You have to be able to answer that question in such a way that you're baiting the hook with your life every day you see them. And they're nibbling. And you have to have the technique and the finesse and the help of God who says, set the hook. But if you're out there just like My grandpa was one time riding in a boat with my uncle, and all of a sudden, he wasn't catching fish. He was catching people because he was swinging his rod around, and people were getting hooks pulled out of them. That's not fishing. That's a distraction because now they got needle-nose pliers trying to pull out of somebody's neck or somebody's arm. That's not fishing. That's not fun. But when you are reaching for hearts, When you're walking in the Holy Ghost and you're letting his words flow from you, guess what you have? You have a fish finder. You see how big it is. You're like, they're hungry. God says, talk to that person. There was a man this morning. Everybody in the hustle bustle on Southwest Boulevard, quick trip was just overflowing with people. But I had a low tire for some reason. I pull in there and somebody is in the the slot to air up tires and they're changing their tire. I was like, here I am, running late to work, and this guy, so what did I do? I got out of my car, walked over to him, and started talking to him. Hey, man, how can I help you? Not to move him along. I was like, I hope your day goes better today. And I reached over. He's like, why don't you just pull your car over here, stretch it over, and we helped each other. Now, I could have been angry. Other people were revving their engines and pulling around and sliding around the pumps and there was people almost running into people and it was chaos. Like, you know what? What's five more minutes? And I said, I hope your day is better. He goes, you know what? I appreciate that. I didn't yell at him. We have to grow in those areas because in the past, I probably would have just revved down the road, went to another gas station, done my thing with the objective of I have a call that starts at 845 
But what about when you have a calling that starts in the moment you're living in right now? You have to be willing to put everything on pause to listen to God because he will speak through you. I know I'm not going through a bazillion scriptures, but I feel like I'm talking to some hearts tonight. It's time that we get down to where it's living and we start living where God wants us to go. Seize this moment in 2023 and let's go deep and grow. Let God lead us and guide us. It's time for us to use the potential that God has given us. In praying, it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, not just the chosen ones or your favorite ones, for all saints. We need to pray for each other. There is none more important than your brother and sister. We need to carry the load and pray for each other. In fasting, the New Testament church talks about this in Acts chapter 13, that the apostle they sent out, but it was the church. You know, the apostle Paul was trying to figure out when to go, what to do, but you also see that the church prayed and fasted along with him. And the Holy Ghost spoke and said, go. It was because they bound themselves, they came together, and they prayed, and they fasted under the same calls, the same burden, and the Holy Ghost spake and told him, you need to go, because they were willing to pay the price. Even though they were losing a voice in their life, they understood there is a greater cause for me to support than myself. You see, witnessing, you see the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, it talks about it, he is making these comments, and he says, I went house to house. We are to all witness. Now, I've taken probably four, maybe five personality tests, either through college or for work, none of which was I trying to figure myself out on my own. But people ask, you have a new boss, hey, let's all team, let's take a personality test so we understand how we all, and none of those results did it come back soul winner or a witness. Not one of those came back. But God gives us the grace to become. We have to apply the word of God so that we can become. Stop using your work personality as your church personality. Stop using it as a crutch of it's just not me. Because God said he wants us all to become. Go ye therefore, and we're all to go do something. Not, well, he's really good at that, so we'll let him do that. And I said this when we were doing Old Settlers. There were several that really stood out to me. As I stood back and I watched and observed, there were some folks here in this house that go to this church that really just stood out and just, man, they were the personality. They could get people to stop. And here, I could have had a Las Vegas sign on me. And I was lucky to hand out a balloon. But you know what? It wasn't for me to give an excuse of just not my thing. I have to go out there and put myself there. Because guess what? I'll never grow if I never do. Stop trying to use your personality to limit God. We are all commanded. Let us all do. I want to go beyond the basics. I want each and every one of you to strengthen me in the kingdom. I grow from your example. When I saw those handing out, I said, you know what? I can do that. I can do that. Not that I can do it any better, but I can try. So God wants us to witness. And so we have to go beyond the basics of watching others. We have to go and do. You'll never grow if you'll never do. And so, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, it says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby we lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in him all things, which is the head, even Christ. You see, this tells me that God has a plan for each and every one of us. None of us, none of us are given a pass to stay a child. We must all grow. 
Now, as a parent, I've made very selfish comments to my children. All five of them, I've said, can you not grow anymore? Because guess what? I love having my children. But Janessa, she'll never grow. DoorDash is at our house all the time, and she never grows. She's limited. She has reached her physical peak potential up. It's just out from here, honey. It's just out from here. But you better get a man on the hook first. But we all have the potential to grow. Be no more children. Now, you can be discouraged. You could be like Janessa and say, I'm as tall as I'll ever get. And you watch Kaiser outgrower. You watch London outgrower. And Xander, he's on his way. He is growing as quick as he can. And he's right behind her. And she could be discouraged. But you know what? God has called each and every one of us to do something. We're not to be cookie cutter. We can't all do the same thing. We're a part of the body of Christ. I need you. You need me. And God needs us to have that mentality when we come to church, we apply ourselves, and we grow in him. And we embrace the uniqueness of the truth church of Olathe, Kansas. It is who we are. But don't be deceived. You will be outgrown if you don't jump in. And you'll be the only one that, I just need a new convert class. I just really need a grasp on this. God is saying, listen, we're going to step back here for a few months, maybe even a year. We're going to pick up everybody. And we're all going forward. Make that commitment. I will know and apply and do what God has called me to do. I will obey his word. You see, when you give God your heart, you also give him your response. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. When God has your heart, he gives you the words to say. And guess what that is? His response to your problem. His response to your opportunity to witness. When you try to do things your way, it just falls apart. Elder Vaughn Morton, Brother Self preaches that message, let it unfold. You can't do this on your own, can you? You try to, I've tried to open up a flower, oh, this is going to be beautiful, and I open it up, and it just crumbles in your hand. But when you let God mature you, take you from pot to this pot, bring it to a bigger one, you're in a raised bed, you may be out next to the house, covered with mulch all around you, and someone's caring for you. And then you begin to blossom. This is not limited to the physical act of speaking, but it's what you also do. The Bible tells us to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers. Now, I'm not just nitpicking and pulling scriptures that fit my agenda. I'm telling you what the Bible says. These are things that we must apply to our life. It's far too easy for us to settle in and say, I've got a first aid kit. It's time for us to step up to the plate and be accustomed to being called on and doing. And being able to put a strong back behind something. A strong hand to lift up and be able to help somebody around them. There's a scripture in the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6. It's talking about if a brother stumble, if a brother fall, we are committed unto this to help him. And it says in verse 10, it says, as we therefore, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We have to help each other. This scripture is talking about someone who stumbles and falls and we pick them up, excuse me, and we let them mature and grow and heal and come back. But it does not put them in a perpetual state of life support. The goal is everybody uh, thrives, everybody survives, everybody is a part of the plan, everybody's a part of the body. We grow beyond just the basics. And Sister Goff had the real adult life conversation this last week, last week. Honey, 
What do we put in our will? If life is challenging, and I'm laying there, and the doctors come in and say, there is no hope. You want me to put you on life support? Do you not want me to? Those are some decisions that you don't just wake up every day and say, we're going to answer this question once and for all. But those are things that you have to do. But see, saints, you need to decide, am I going to stay on life support, or am I going to get up out of this bed and grow? Am I going to be about my father's business, or am I going to have people just visiting, dropping off flowers all the time? When am I going to do something? We have to go beyond the basics. So, we don't glory in the mistakes of others. It is how you treat your brother and your sister that directly impacts how God views you. In Galatians, in the very same chapter, in verse 7, chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you can't help your brother, you're deceiving yourself. You may think you've got it under control, but God's letting you know, no, that's not how it's going to be. You see, your character cannot be suppressed. You're only deceiving yourself if you think that's the case. There's a man, how many know the individual named John Chapman? Not Stephen Curtis Chapman. John Chapman. Maybe you know him by the folk story, Johnny Appleseed. John Chapman was a man who went and planted apple trees, planted the seeds. And the folk stories don't tell what he really did. They used that, and they used that opportunity to take a story of a real individual and try to make something fun out of it. We see, yeah, John Chapman did go and plant apple trees. The problem is most of those, if they say, the historians say most of those, if not all, were not edible apples. They were apples used to make alcohol. And really, he was planting orchards to secure land. It wasn't about giving something that gave to everyone. There was something that benefited him. He died with over a 1,000 acres of land that were full of apple trees, but he couldn't go eat them. What fruit are you planting? If Johnny Appleseed planted something other than apple seeds, he would be known by a different fruit. What are you as a Christian known for? What do you plant? Does it only benefit you or does it benefit the kingdom? What are you known for? What seed do you plant today? How have you matured? If the trees around you only benefit you and you're amassing a kingdom, and look at me. Hmm. What are you known for? Let's talk about our brother and sister. God has called this church to be called out from the present world to love one another. This means that the very appearance that you could make in people's lives is possibly the only opportunity for them to see Jesus. Now, we've said it many times. Our lives is most of the time the only Bible that some people will ever read. But I want to challenge us a little further. For this reason alone, we cannot afford to miss the opportunity to help those lives we impact. Don't save your best for tomorrow. Do it today. Don't miss the opportunity to be what God would allow you to be. Don't let it be said about you. He had so much potential. She has so much potential. There's someone we can say that about. Samson had so much potential. Had everything at his fingertips, right? But instead he chose the pleasures of this life with Delilah. He chose to go to another town and get someone he shouldn't have. And he chose to gamble with the blessing of God on his life through the Nazarite vow. And he chose to say, you know what, that's not so important. And Bishop taught us, just last year I think he talked about it, that Samson was delusional because it says 
it's in yeah, Judges chapter 16, verse 20. It says, and she said, the Philistines be upon thee. And Samson, as he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. That was after he had said, all you got to do is cut my hair. He told her the answer. And he believed he could get up and do it on himself. Don't have so much confidence in your flesh that you neglect the spirit. Because it is the spirit that woos and draws people in your life and your life as well. Don't be so delusional sitting on a church pew that you have everything together because you are counted among the attendees of tonight. I challenge you to look at the fruit of your soul and say, what am I known to plant? Rise above complacency and live in the great promises that God has for you. I know I'm coming down to the end of the time that I have. And I may not be able to finish this, but I want to emphasize this one point. I, I probably won't finish, but I want to emphasize this one point. I have great concerns how disposable relationships have become. Used to be you grew up in a town. If you didn't like someone, you had to deal with them all the time. You worked a job, and, and I feel like I'm a dying breed. People change jobs, it seems like now, continually. Been at the same company for 23 years, and I'm a rarity. I wasn't going to say odd. We all know that's true. Odd bird. If there was a poll, it would be odd bird. But it's rare for someone to have commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to work at the lumber mill. My daddy worked there. My uncle worked there. I got a job there. It's in the family. We're railroaders. We're going to do this. And my uncle that passed away, he was a meat cutter, retired, just like my grandfather did. Followed in his footsteps, as the obituary stated. And you don't find those things. Now it's, I don't like something, I move on. I don't like you, I'll find someone else on Facebook. And these connections that we're so satisfied with is, oh, I got a new friend. Look, I got 651 friends. No, you don't. You don't. And if you're that shallow, guess what you do have? No friends. But relationships have become so disposable. And it bleeds over to churches becoming so disposable. When you don't like what the preacher preaches, I just move on. And you're willing to start over because there's other options. We can't do that. Because once you start running, I wrote this statement down. People run from their conflict, but they never outrun their problem. You will be who you were when you ran, and when you get there, you're going to be the same person. Quit trying to blame it on everybody else. I understand their situations. I didn't grow up in this church, so who am I to judge anyone? I know situations allow us to go some other places. But it's not like that. You go in other churches and it's just full of transplants because they all run to somebody else because it's the new flashy thing in their area. They don't want to dig in and make something of something special. They don't want to see the promises fulfilled. They want to see the numbers grow. And we use this excuse of everything else in my life is like that. I can just continually go through and find friends. Oh, this person wants to be my friend. And what this, in the, in the digital age, if anything, it has highlighted how connected we really are. Because now we can go say, well, I'm friends with this person. You get recommendations on social media for this people because they're friends with this person. And next thing you know, everybody has the same friends. And I, back when I was on social media, I asked Sister Golf one time, I was like, how does this person know them? They're in Canada. They're in the cold. They don't know these people. They're in the frozen tundra of the north. How do they, these people know each other? Oh, well, they know this person. And now all of a sudden they have these connections. And we apply that in our life, our everyday life. And we're willing to sever ties when it's inconvenient to us. But God is wanting us to grow beyond the basics and stop being so shallow and dig in and be a part of each other's root system. And sustain each other and sustain the body of Christ and to be a part of something bigger instead of our own self-interest, to move on so we can grow and blossom. Maybe you would grow and blossom if you would put your roots in the soil of the church. 
and God could water you with his word instead of the water just pouring out the bottom of the pot or overflowing because your roots have just basically pushed out all the soil and you're no longer growing. You have become stagnant. God wants us to grow beyond the basics. Proverbs chapter 17 and 17, it says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And one translator says it this way, a brother is born through adversity. It's because you become a brother when you go through something together. You step from that situation and you realize this situation right here made us have something in common that's far deeper than a color, a preference, but it was life. It was life. You have to be willing to give of yourself in order for you to build lasting relationships in the church. You have to be willing to invest. You're not just an attendee. You are a part of the body of Christ. And it's upon us to be able to reach and go deep and say, listen, I want something more than I've ever had. The body of Christ is so special. It's so unique. It's so beautiful. Because we come from all different walks of life and we can come together and be unified in our pursuit of God and we forget about all of our flaws, our failures, our problems, where we don't match up and we complement each other in the spirit of worship and the word and we rise together as one and great things happen. People are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Healings take place because we come together just like Sunday night. There were those that stepped forward with a need to this altar area. And it was beautiful to watch and see it happen as the body of Christ came together and began to pray one for another. They weren't slapping hands on each other. They were joining together in faith. And there are voices that raised up as one. And the needs weren't presented as, whoa, look at me, I'm by myself. But you felt the faith combined and there was a swelling of the spirit start to move in and People begin to have their needs ushered in the presence of God. It was all because we're willing to invest in each other's needs. you got to have that mentality. As the great, wonderful, prolific, fantabulous writer Louis L'Amour says, you got to find someone to ride the river with. I can watch from the shore of safety and say, have a safe trip, but when I get in the boat with you, we're in this together. You know what that is? That's maturity. It's maturity. It's I'm willing to forsake the needs of myself, and I'm willing to invest in the cause, and we're going forward, and we're going to make this happen. The church is who you want to ride the river with because we're going somewhere. We're going places. We're growing. We're maturing. We're reaching a city. We're reaching the lost around us. God has called us to go somewhere, and he's called each and every one of you to be a part. Let's grow beyond the basics. Let's step in and contribute. Be a part. I'm encouraging you, each and every one, reevaluate your relationship with God and evaluate your relationship with your brothers and sisters because you can no longer sustain yourself if you're the one that's always receiving. You'll never grow if you never give. If you're always saying, I need, I need, I need. They didn't even come up and talk to me. This didn't. Did you go talk to them? Did you go and pray for them? You have to make yourself friendly to find friends. We're too small of a church with so much potential for there to be any cliques. I'm not pastor. I'm just making statements. We're a church family. I would never allow that in my family. I will not allow my family to push one member of the family aside and not accept them and wrap their arms because how can we gather together at night and hold hands and pray before we go to bed if we don't have everybody in the circle? How do you think that person would feel if I said, Kaiser, why don't you sit this one out? We're going to pray as a family. Why would we do it in church? I'm not accusing anyone, but what I'm trying to set a groundwork for is when we grow, everybody is a part. As we grow as we are and we continue to grow and mature, 
Everybody's a part. You see someone struggling, kind of being standoffish, pull them in. Make them a part. You'll be a part. You will grow as they grow because you will tap into each other's root systems spiritually. And things will come out of just organic conversation. And you know, I got a big decision this week. Your ears had better be what's going on. You don't have to impose yourself on them, but you could just say, I don't know what it is, but I'll help you pray. Is there a time you're going to make this decision? I'll be on my knees praying. That's what the church does. We rejoice with those that rejoice. We weep with those who weep. And we come together as a church family, and we grow as one. And we go beyond the basics that so many churches are satisfied with, and we become a prolific, we become a, a powerful church in the community where people, you can say, you know what, I don't have that personality that you may jive with, but there's someone here that you'll really connect with. And you talk that person up as the person they are, and you say, I can't teach a Bible study what you're needing. I have limitations, and I'll talk to my pastor. We'll get with Brother Nelson. We'll find somebody, but let me tell you what. You need to go talk to Brother John Nelson. This man is passionate about teaching Bible, passionate about this, and we'll get someone that will take care of you. But you don't say, okay, done my part. You say, I'm going with you. We're going to grow together. Show me how you do it. What do you do? How do you prepare how is it that you're able to say the right words and people begin to weep when you're teaching a Bible study? Instead of, how is it that you engage them? Go with them. Learn. Grow. Go beyond the basics. Because we cannot grow with just a couple of people teaching Bible studies. Because everybody has full-time jobs. Everybody has responsibilities. And it, what it will do, it will reduce the growth and the potential and will say, Sorry we got too many people with a lot of heavy looking on. We need to grow in this. We need to pull each other together. There are times ahead of us that are uncertain. If you just pay attention to any news articles, the Bible says it's perilous times. We are in those perilous times. We might as well just jump in this together. Be a part of it. Row strong together. Let's make heaven our destination for everybody. I want to see each and every one of you in heaven. We've got to make it. There is no other choice. For any, there's no choice for anyone to be left behind. We must make heaven our goal.